Hey, welcome back to another episode, a special, um, extra special quarantine episode, because not only do we have COVID, but we're all avoiding a hurricane. Um, but uh, of the, this is this, uh, so a special broadcast of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Um, joining me as always is Dave and Fredo, and I'm Aaron. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. And our hearts and uh, God, everything we can give to the, the folks in Southwest Louisiana and um, uh, Southeastern Texas. Uh, Laura is just a, a monster. Um, so, man, that's just, it was sad. Uh, a lot of people, what's odd is a lot of people are evacuating to New Orleans. Not many people do that in a hurricane, evacuate <laughs> to New Orleans. And then not only do I feel bad for these people that, you know, they, you know, obviously they're away from their homes, but they're coming to one of the most exciting cities on the planet and it's closed down. So, <laughs> but oh. yeah, anyway, it's uh, like I said, that was uh, really a uh, man touch and go. Did you guys, were you making plans to skedaddle? Not really. I mean, my, my brothers, I got two brothers who live in Houston, the one who lives in Chicago, and they're all like, are you guys going to leave? Are you guys going to leave? Are you guys going to leave? And my attitude is, until you know for certain where a storm system is headed, your best bet is to stay put and figure out what's going to happen with it. Because the last thing you want to do is hit the road and be caught in the way of, hey, we're going the way of a, uh, of a hurricane. I was reminded, I always tell a story of years ago, when to that, about 2009, when I was working in South Texas and me and my brother cut the last flight back to Houston when Hurricane Ike was supposed to be getting towards the South Texas. We land in Houston to, to the news of, oh no, that hurricane's not coming to Houston. So at that moment, dead of night, try to go find the last you know, uh, supermarket that's open that hasn't been raided by the entire city. So it's just, okay, grab a couple of gallons of water that was still there, the last unsmushed loaf of bread, and you're like, Okay, I guess we're going to run a hurricane here now. So, so two interesting things. Uh, first of all, we uh, Britt heard that um, uh, forecasters like nailed the landfall and the time of landfall. Like it was like within about a mile, and it was like they nailed the time exactly when it was going to make landfall. So. Uh, that's really crazy. That's really crazy. It makes you feel better about predictions. Um, but the other thing in crazy news is that uh, people are saying that this was a conspiracy um, to mess with the Republican National Convention. Um, and I'm thinking, what is Cobra got the weather dominator out and, you know, <laughs> being funded by the Democrats? I don't know. But uh, anyway. Yeah, most conventions would have happened in July and uh, not late August. COVID so, impacted that. And then on top of that, you're scheduling anything at the peak of the hurricane season. Hurricanes are going to get in the way. So, Dave, were you uh, packing up the Chevy or were you guys feeling pretty good? <laughs> I mean, we, I mean, you could, you could follow the weather reports and we were, we follow it pretty compulsively. My wife and I, we both work in the media. So it's like um, you're very much aware of what's going on. So uh, for us, there was never any real question about it. But um, our kids got released from school uh, on Monday and Tuesday. 
which was like a real blessing for us. So there were a couple of days there that we didn't have to uh, adhere to Nintendo. <laughs> exactly. We don't have to adhere to this online learning schedule. That's been uh, very difficult. Well, uh, so yeah, too. So for everybody who's been stressed with, with COVID and with uh, hurricanes and things like that, uh, what we're going to do tonight is we're just going to watch an awesome movie and have our own special Who Dat Jedi podcast uh, um, commentary track. And we're going to be watching Rogue One, um, which I, I think arguably the best of the Disney era. And I, I think that's actually really fight me on that one. But anyway, um, we can we talk about that later. But uh, if you want to follow along, um, you can. Uh, we're going to start right where it says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So you can pause now and get everything queued up. And now I'm assuming that you paused and we're ready to go. So gentlemen, on the count of three, hit play. One, two, three. Five. Three star. <laughs> All right, so first up, uh, I gotta ask you, um, it's the first movie without a crawl. Um, do you think it should have had a crawl? Um, did you, and it, if not, if you're not, well, I guess part two of the question is, were you okay with uh, how this movie entered? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say, it felt weird to not have it, particularly because it cuts you right into, uh, right into action, so to speak. You know, you're seeing uh, the rings of the planet and the ship that's coming around to uh, where the Ursos are staying. So, it creates a dynamic where you're like, well, wait a minute, this doesn't feel like the normal start to a Star Wars movie. And they did that by design. They wanted this to be a non-traditional Star Wars movie. So in that they succeeded. But it yeah, feels but a non-traditional Star Wars movie with a bunch of Star Destroyers and everything that looks like it's 1977. So I guess, you know, for me, uh, so I see your point. You're, you're right. That's what they said. Um, for me, I guess I would have liked to have a crawl. I think it would have been good. Um, however, so if they're not going to do a crawl, what was odd to me was just the planet popping out of nowhere. It was unsettling from the get-go. Nothing in Star Wars ever did that. I mean, usually it's a slow, a slow pan somewhere. And it, but and this they kind of eventually get to that slow pan, but it's after the the planet goes poop, and it's just right. you know, it was just unsettling. I don't know, Dave. What what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm kind of with you because it's like a planet establishing planetary shot. And you, like you said, there's a slow pan after they've already um, jump cut into it. But I, I, they really, they could have very easily put a crawl in there and cut it that way. Um, so it's it's very deliberate choice to not do that. And I, I you know, I'm okay with the choice but the execution is a little meh for me. That's why I, mean, I like the. That's why I like Solo. I thought Solo met in the middle, mm -hmm. you know, by having the the blue text and everything. But but uh, but and I think are cool. some ways, anyway, keep going. Yeah, no, I was gonna say in some ways, a crawl would have helped tremendously just to establish Galen and his relationship with uh, Krennic. Just the idea of, okay, this is kind of the state of the galaxy you are. Because I know there were a lot of people were like, where, you know, if you had just seen Force Awakens the previous December, you come into this one, you're like, well, where's Ray? Where's Finn? 
I'm not seeing any other guy. Is it is that young Ray? Is that what we're gonna these are parents, you know? So instead of allowing or creating a dynamic where a crawl could have explained, no, this is happening during the reign of the empire, this is who these people are, and then off you go. So, but what's interesting though is that this is a you know, this is a flashback. We start off with a flashback. Mm-hmm. So it's um, you know, we don't know that this is Jin or so, you know, even if they would have said it in the crawl, you know, that's all just kind of pieced again. Late. So while I'm with you, um, I think that I think the crawl could have been something a little bit more generic, like, you know, well, uh, that's the idea of setting it. OK, this is, it's during the, the height of the empire. There's people looking to develop super weapons and, you know, one of them is looking for a brilliant scientist who's been hiding in a farm out in the middle of nowhere. Go. Well, you you guys, um, I at the risk of uh, cutting short our crawl speak here, uh, I, I do want to talk about what a marvelous introduction this is for our main antagonist. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, I agree. Um, I thought this it it set up that dynamic. Uh, and this is one of the things Incredibly. that. Yeah, this is one of the things that Gareth Edwards, the director, did that recognized. I mean, by taking advantage, I mean, you're at the heart of the Empire with Rogue One. Therefore, it allows you to kind of, you know, dress Krennic in the trappings of the Empire. You know, you see him in the all-star, you know, white uniform with the little black cap, but he's surrounded by death troopers whom you've never seen before. Which, which is very interesting. Uh, I saw this on another YouTube channel. I can't remember which, so I, I apologize for not citing it, but I will say this is not my observation. What's interesting, to the, the juxtapose this against the New Hope, you know, you see your, you know, the, you see your, meet your antagonist early, and he's all in white, surrounded by black, you know, armored troopers. And in A New Hope, you meet your antagonist right off the bat, and he's in all black, surrounded by white um you know armored troopers and the protagonist if you want to say it you know galen is in dark whereas princess leia is in white it's just mm-hmm. interesting how these things they flip each them other. yeah now, okay now here's a plot question that i never understood i'm guessing that the original plan that galen and lyra uh, jen's parents had was if krennic or somebody from the empire comes a calling yeah, Lyra will take Jen, little Jen, and they'll go hide. And Galen will try to talk his way out of it. But somewhere along the way, Lyra decided to just get a blaster and go, you know. Go rogue. Or, you know, uh, go seventh ward on this, whatever. Uh, well, And also in earlier drafts, I think uh, Lyra was supposed to be a, uh, a Jedi, I believe, in the okay. earlier drafts. That would make uh, sense. But yeah, I, I think that was the plan. Um, but they never say why she breaks from it either. I wanted it. It's a dumb idea of her husband's. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, look, for example, like, let's put it to the to the one parent we have amongst having, us. Having like been, if, no, having, having been married for you know almost yeah. 25 years now, um, I can say that that's nine times out of 10, the right way to do is for the, for the wife to go, yeah, no, we're going to do it this other way because it usually ends up being the better way to do it. So, But I guess my point is, and you guys are both married, so you'll know better than I, you probably have discussed this once or twice before, at least had the hashing out of this, 
in case it happens, this is what we're going to do. And yet when the moment came, they don't do that, or she doesn't do that. And I wonder yeah, why. They... Yeah. And, you know, it speaks to her character, I guess. You know, that's that's who she is. But when the moment um, came, she didn't say goodbye to, to, to Galen. Did not want it to happen. I will say uh, um, on, a, on a different topic as you're, you know, just the aesthetics of this movie and uh, you know, throughout, they did such a good job of making this fit with a movie that was made in 1977 without making it look, without making it look that way, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. without making yeah. it, you know, look clunky. Um, I mean, they got well, the costuming right. They got the, you know, the, the sets right. By the way, I'm going to pause. I hate this opening music. I think the opening <laughs> music is awful. And so is that little fadeaway Rogue One. I've said it before. It looks like they did that in iMovie. And they're like, oh, we'll just you know fix it in post. And they never did. Anyway. There, there, there's so much going on here early on. This is It's, it's going to be hard for us to speak about everything. But I did want to touch on a few things. The, the Stormtrooper doll, that's incredible symbolism for me. Um, you're, you've got this toy. The toys are coming to kill you, <laughs> which is just like, uh, you know, um, the way that she hides. Um, we've seen this happen since with in the Mandalorian. Um, I can't help but think of Din Djarin, uh in the way that he as a child is stowed away and kind of hidden from the enemy. Um, and, and finally, the, the last comparison I would make with that opening, her family gets taken from her. Um, and just the symbolism of that in, in comparison to what happens in A New Hope, um, where Luke's family gets taken from him. You're going to see this theme throughout this movie where people um, get affected by war innocent bystanders people who aren't affiliated in one way or the other they get affected by it uh you'll see that with like the firefight later on in the middle of the busy square and and things of that nature this guy coming up who's going to get murdered in cold blood i mean i I guess he picked a side just by providing information but he was essentially an innocent um i just think that that theme is so powerful that you know you sow the seeds of your own defeat by behaving so evilly yeah it's it's the first star wars movie that actually takes into account the war meaning the impact of like a like of a civil war on the people at large uh, and then and then that's i mean in some ways that's the unfortunate design of when you're following the heroes you're just going from place to place action beat to action beat so there's not much space for you to kind of loiter around and see the after aftermath of the Battle of Endor or the Battle of Hoth. Or, you know, they're picking rare spaces or places where they're far away. But you're led to believe that the Galactic Alliance, that the Rebellion, is something that's spread across the galaxy, but hidden. So obviously there would be planets or moons or systems where they would be under control of the Empire and... You know, they'd be trying to get information like this and by sense would get in the way. I was uh, shocked in the movie theater when Cassian shoots the guy in the back. They're not really, you know, just, I, 
looking at it now yeah you see it coming a mile away but mm -hmm. the first time you're seeing this movie you don't because that doesn't happen in star wars you know what i mean it was like and by the way let's just pause for a second uh to, again just a little aesthetic thing do we need planet name plates every time we visit a new planet how did we survive in the 70s and 80s going to Hoth and Dagobah and Bespin and, you know, Tatooine and back to Tatooine and, you know, Endor without a nameplate telling us what planet we were on? I think, I mean, we don't need it per se, but I think it works here because we're going to be seeing places specifically for like, you know, we're going to zoom back and forth. Whereas say, you know, it's say something like Empire. You learn about the name of Hoth when the Imperials reported. Well, let me, the, let me you ask learn you about Endor from, from Ben. You learn about Bespin from Han. So names are dropped on you, but then you spend a significant time there. Yeah, but let me ask you, do we, I mean, is it really important that we know that they say this is Jedi? They can drop it in conversation. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It, it just, I, I think, I think it was a keeping up with the Marvelers, you know, yeah, type I, of a thing. I think I'll say, because I'll say it's more having to do with the intercutting and the editing of the movie. Some somewhere on the way, there's probably a version where they do what you're saying, but they probably went, no, we need to keep the pace quicker. And maybe we'll talk later about some of the issues that came about the filming of this and you know how it ended up like right now we're getting, I don't know if you've seen the Wobani uh title card, you're like, okay, what's that mean? Well, and that's the thing. That's the thing, is that and you know, we don't really need also the they're an imperial labor camp. We saw Jin was in jail. Now we see her in a truck with stormtroopers chained to the floor. You know, we can, mm -hmm. you know, I was watching actually a little thing on YouTube, Kevin Smith, and he was like, you know, they're always talking about movies, how you should show and not tell. And he said, I'm, I do too much of the opposite. And I think that's what the thing that bothers me is this, you know, it's like those types of things take me out of the story. If they say, you know, and now on, you know, this planet here, but, Anyway, by the way, I think the uh, the introduction of K2SO is one of the best introductions of of mm -hmm. uh, Star Wars character. Mm -hmm. okay. Oh, just going back right quick, I'll say I love the little detail of the st two stormtroopers who are like all muddied and dirty, their armor's all scuffed up, and they're like, you know, the truck stops, and they're like, what now? They're, they're not, you know, they're not uh, top, tip top shape like. Stormtroopers, they're, they've probably been stationed there for a while and they're just like, Ugh, you know, they're just trying to get through it. So I I will say this, I kind of like the title cards personally mm -hmm. um, because you're whipping from planet to planet to planet to planet early on here. And I think there is some potential for, a, you know, a general audience in particular to, to be confused. Um, I think you'll recognize Yavin if you've been watching these movies for the last 40 years. Um, but like, okay, so we're on Jetta. They, they introduced Jetta just kind of like whip snap and you're like, you could miss it practically. It's like, well, why are they showing us this place and what is it? Um, they pretty much have to kind of like hold your hand at that point because we're going to circle back to this place. It's going to be really important later on. We're just trying to establish everything early here. So, let's, um, uh, however, let's let's put it. Uh, let's look at it from a different perspective. Um, going back to what Fredo said, how you know a crawl would have been nice because people were confused, like where's Ray, where's Finn, where's Poe. 
I, again, I think let's look at, at a more of a macro, you know, level that I think, I just think that's where Disney Lucasfilm dropped the ball with these new movies is um, just, they get to the, it's like they got to the finish line and went, Oh crap, we got to tie our shoes, you know, type of a thing. Let's, we got to put in title cards, you know, we got to, you know, they didn't, they didn't explain that, Hey, this is not part of, or they explained to the you know nerds like us that this is not part of that new trilogy. Um, you know, we understood it was a standalone film, but the general audience, like you said, was confused. So, did should Disney Lucasfilm done more to make it stand out? To you know, that could um, have been a different approach that might have worked better. Um, I mean, I guess we'll never know. Um, of course, it was sandwiched in between. Uh, um, Force Awakens and Last Jedi, right? Am I in the? That's correct. Yep. So yeah. So again, it just seems like they set people up for to be confused. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I love this scene in the uh, in the the Rebel base just because it's you know again familiar. Um, Is it Draven? Is that his name? Oh, general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, He's a. I think I think the original cut. This whole thing was a lot more confrontational. Jin wasn't as like defensive. I think she was a little bit more in your face. And when they recut the movie, reshot the movie, it became this. Right, they lost the uh, rebel uh, moment from the trailer. And we were talking. Has uh, has Bail Organa came into the shot yet? No, not yet. Because I, okay, when that gets there, then I'll point out how mm-hmm. that's not really needed at that point. But anyway, <laughs> now, here here's a question. I've heard it said in some uh, uh, commentaries on this movie and whatnot. Did we need to make the plot so complicated regarding the plans to the Death Star? Did we need to go? Oh, you need to get us an entry, you know? Because all of it here's bail. Um, the whole point of Jin's mission, the whole reason why the Rebel Lines rescues Jin is. We need you to get us a sit-in with Saul Guerrero because he's got a pilot who's got a possible message from Galen Erso. Could they just have said, look, there's somebody out there we need to find that was rescued by your father. You know, you would know best where he went. Can you help us? Are you saying could we have skipped the whole Saul Guerrero thing? In, in a way. In a way. Or, may, or maybe even if we wanted to go that way, say that Saul Guerrero is also chasing after him and we're going to get to him first. Which, by the I way, think we're picking. I think we're picking nits here. I'm sorry. I, I love this movie, so I, you know, I'm, I'll defend it to the death. Um, I, I don't think. I don't think we're being aggressive with it. I think it's just. I, I think. But I think these are interesting. Like why? What? Why choices were made? It is. It could be said. Getting back. I'm sorry. I interrupted you, Dave. But um, it's what I do. Uh, you know. It's. Uh, it's again. People had to do the homework because it's like this. Saw Guerrera. If you watch the Clone Wars, you know Saw Gerrera was like the original rebel. You know, um, you knew that there was, so that meant something. But to that general audience, you probably could have done away with the whole Saw Gerrera and just had him go find Bodhi Rook and off we go. But anyway, go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. Well, I, you know, like to, to the point of like, I'll circle back to the title cards again, right? You know, because it's just it's part of this overall discussion. I I like the title cards 
for me. Um, I like it when they put something up on the screen that says Jetta, and then I can react to that. I can say, oh, oh, okay, this is not like Tatooine or someplace uh, that we've been before. I need to pay attention because I'm going to be shown something new. Um, you know, so for that person, that kind of perspective on, on, on these things, um, I like when they throw the fans a bone, um, and they, and they kind of give us a roadmap or they, um, they offer us a little, you know, inside joke or whatnot. Those, those are, those are just great. I, I love that stuff. Again, maybe a general audience doesn't get as much out of it, but, um, do they get enough? And I think with this movie, they certainly do. And by the way, I you know I talk right over this great joke here from. KG You're letting Star. her keep it. <laughs> you know, the probability for you to it on you, it's hot, very hot. K two S O best droid in Star Wars. It's a bold claim, but I can't disagree with it in regards to personality. I mean, he's nothing. He's got tons of personality, which helps when you got Alan Tudyk giving it to him. And I'm still wait. I'm sorry. I'm still waiting for Lucasfilm to explain to me what happened to Saw Gerrera's feet and why he's got the gas mask, you know, our oxygen tank. I mean, the last time we saw Saw Gerrera was in Rebels, mm-hmm. at, which is not too far away from Rogue One. I mean, for crying out loud. Um, so something happened. I've you heard somebody said that the whole idea of Saw being this way is that he's almost in many ways kind of uh, an in-between of, God, of characters like Grievous and Vader, half man, half machine, kind of being, kind of being in, in some ways that that juxtaposes the idea of he's, loose, he's lost so much of his humanity. Right, right. The toll of hatred in war mm-hmm. really rips your body apart in, in a very um, overt way when you see that character. So I think that's the point of it. But again... <laughs> Don't explain it, you know. It's, it's, it's like, just, yeah, he's torn to shreds. I guess well, I'm not, I'm not saying. Presume. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. Don't explain it. I'm not saying explain it in this movie. I said I'm waiting for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There could have been. Um, I mean, you could have been told in the title cause that it's the diabetes. Interesting fact. We I think we've talked about it before. Um, in the solo novelization, the last chapter. Um, Enfys Nest meets uh, Saw Gerrera and a young Jin Erso um, hands off the coaxium to them. I think that would have been a cool ad in Solo. That I think it was kind of a maybe a missed opportunity. And this shot here with the Death Star eclipsing the Star Destroyers. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, and then that's one thing I gotta give to the director and the director of photography and cinematographer. They knew that the star, in many ways, of this movie was gonna be the Death Star, because we haven't seen the Death Star since 1983, and really that whole thing since '77. So getting to see it, you know, in so many ways, it's like just gonna take you right back to the first time you saw it. And I'll let the controversy begin. Here's, here's Tarkin. It didn't bug me. It didn't me. It's either. never bugged me. Never bothered me once. I remember yeah. when I first saw it, I went, "Oh, that's cool." I didn't know it was coming. I was thought, yeah. you know, I thought it was done well. Mm-hmm. 
And that's just it. It's like, it looked perfect. I mean, obviously it doesn't look as photorealistic as you would want it to be. But at the same time, this is somebody who's deceased now for over 40 some odd years. So, or 30 some odd years. So within those constraints, I'm fine with it. Well, they actually made this using a, a life mask of Peter Cushing that they, mm -hmm. they had. So that's, I wonder if I wonder if that's become just standard operating procedure now at Lucasfilm. It's like, why are we putting this mask on me uh, in case you die and we need you, you know, thirty years from now? Mm -hmm. By the way, can, can we talk for a moment? Let's just talk about the idea of uh, Tarkin moving in and taking over the Death Star project from Krennic, which obviously it's it's part of what's driving Krennic's goals in terms of finishing the Death Star and stopping Jin and the crew of Rogue One. Uh, but it's interesting that they're, you know, that they're positioning the Empire in many ways as almost like a corporate structure where, you know, Tarkin is very much like a corporate raider. Well, it's jumping the in at the last minute to swoop in and take the project away from him. Well, I think I think it's like the mafia. I mean, they're, all, they're all they're all trying to impress the Emperor, you know, and it's it's just one big pardon me, pissing match. You know, and so, um, but yeah, or yeah, there's people screwing each other over to, you know. Particularly when you consider it promotion. compared to what, you know, when we hear Tarkin in Rebels, particularly in, uh, what's the season three or season four? No, season four, when they're talking about the Tide Defender project that, um, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Thrawn. Thrawn, thank you. Right. Thrawn's trying to develop, and they're talking about how uh, they're competing for resources, both. Krennic's Death Star and, and Thrawn's Tie Defender, and it seems very much like Tarkin is more in favor of the Tie Defender, but yet here he is, running in to take over the project that's about to be finished. I was saying that the new Thrawn novels they really lean into that topic too, that's where these guys are jockeying for position and then trying to curry favor with the with the Emperor. Um, I you know as a, as a plot element it. It was fine by me. Mm -hmm. I think some people thought that it undercut Krennic some, but I like his character because he's not the same as a Tarkin. Mm -hmm. He would have felt maybe a little one note or a, a caricature maybe if he were just the exact same guy. Uh, in many ways, in many you ways. Know what else? I'm sorry. You know what else it does is that it um, here you get this new baddie Krennic and when all of a sudden Tarkin's in there, then it, it, it does cut him down a notch so that people go, oh, okay. Cause otherwise you're like, who died and made this guy Pope, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, Tarkin is there to remind everybody that, you know, there's still bigger, badder people in the empire. That's my point. That's what I think. Yeah, I was just going to say that Krennic many ways reminds me of governor price from rebels, bureaucratic looking at, you know, climb the ladder, you know, trying to deliver something, you know, something big uh, and very much recognizes that the moment he they got the hot potato that everybody's going to want it. So uh, it's interesting. Aside, I love the shot of the Star Destroyer of the Jetta. Yeah. Because it's very striking and it's very unique. You haven't seen, I mean, up until this point, what have we ever seen a Star Destroyer in space? Yep. You know, in the movies, we've never seen a Star Destroyer in, in the atmosphere. 
Yeah, I don't know if the physics of it makes sense, but <laughs> this is Star Wars. We'll fix it. Exactly. <laughs> so again, I think this movie what it did what because it is such a heavy war movie, and it's I mean it's it's not uplifting, mm -hmm. but he does such a good job at the little elements of humor from K two S O, and from other characters. You know, you know just to lighten the mood and make you catch your breath. Otherwise this would be a heavy movie to watch. Um, Borg gullet. I, what do you think? Borg gullet. I, I can do without it. Does it have to meet the, is it the requirement that we have to meet at least one creepy creature in every star Wars movie? It seems like, you know, John Peters saying, you know, I, I want my chewy, you know, uh, for, <laughs> for the Superman movie that he worked on with Kevin Smith. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I thought the poor gullet was just kind of. Well, the thing is, it's not established what's the threat to up until this point that it says might lose his mind to Bodhi, you know. But again, we haven't really met Bodhi. All we've seen is Bodhi's introduction, Bodhi's one scene with Saw, and now he's getting tortured. So we don't know whether he's brave or whether he's coward, whether he's strong, whether, you know, what his nature is. So in many ways, you know, I think had we gotten another moment with him to kind of establish who he really is and that he's, you know, bona fide, uh, it would have been better, you know, because now you're rooting for him not to get tortured. And here comes your uh, moment, uh, Aaron. Your favorite scene. You know, we'll just skip right over that. And one thing I'm noticing, uh, <laughs> Gareth Edwards does such a good job with perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, just the camera angles that he uses. Uh, I know he's big on the, you know, just shoulder-mounted camera. Um, it, it's it's such a it's a different differently shot Star Wars movie, and it's it's really effective. Yeah. By the way, to the people listening, we were talking about the Doctor Avazon and Ponda Baba cameos. <laughs> you can just watch yourself and and Ponda Baba going another day, another day. But you know, circling back to the, the torture scene, it also establishes Saw as being like off the freaking deep end a little bit, you know, um, which is helpful to understand where he's coming from. Because, again, that character serves a very specific purpose in that he informs where um, Jen is ultimately going to land in this whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, she's not going to be this crazy zealot like him. She's not going to lose her humanity in this. Um, but she is going to circle and she is going to come to a point where she feels like she has to be involved. And here's uh, Chirrut. Chirrut saying, okay, I bet, you, yeah. bet you I know where you got your shoes to Jin. And if I'm honest, I'll, I'll always say I love this character. I love, you know, I have his Funko. But I always think it's a shame that we didn't get uh, Donnie Yen in as a Jedi in one of the prequels or the sequels because dude's a bad He's a martial artist, legend. You know, like if you go see his Hong Kong movies, they're like a mile long and everybody loves them. So it's a shame we only got to see him in Star Wars once, but at least it was with this character who... I love his relationship with him and Baze. Yeah, that relationship too. Like, what do we think? Is it okay that it's ambiguous? I mean, like, a lot of people were hopeful that it would be um, more more overtly um, 
that they were, you know, lovers. Um, See, I, you I, know, I, I it works okay for me as is. I never mm -hmm. picked up on that. And yeah. I, it, it seems to me like, you know, I guess there talk about the different, different kind. And it, if it would have been, it, that's fine. But, you know, there's also, if you've been, the, I, I guess I see them more as brothers, you know, that right. like, you know, brothers in arms that have been, I mean, is that's, you know, as much of a loving relationship as, as anybody has. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think there's there's many ways to kind of look at it. I do appreciate the fact that they left it open open ended enough that you can read in whatever you want to. So if you want to see them as brothers, you can. If you want to see them as partners, you can. If you want to see them as friends or as lovers, you can. Um, because sometimes I mean that's you don't necessarily have to draw it out, spell it out for everybody. It can be the little but, kid here. By the way, I'm sorry not to. Oh little yeah, kid, little kid here has no survival skills. Anyway, <laughs> oh, but she's so affecting. I mean, like that that moment in the this is Star Wars, but it's not Star Wars. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a new Star Wars for us, right? You you don't really see this sort of impact on civilians and so the surround. I mean, the the one Ewok died, but I guess he was fighting. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, this is this is visceral. This feels like you're in the Middle East. Yeah, I mean. Well, and what's interesting is you're not getting the big hero uh, move music moments, you know. Normally, right. you know, you know, if our heroes get involved in a shootout, the Star Wars theme blares and everybody's getting action beats and whatnot. None of that's happening here. Gotta tell you, every time a stormtrooper hits the ground, I wince. Like when I see that armor go through the air and they land, I just go, oh, poor you, you mean to tell me that there's no padding in those things? There's no padding. And then it's like, you just ruined a really good set of Stormtrooper armor. But... Yeah, but it's movie quality. I think there's friendly fire in this. I, You know, the, the, the claustrophobic nature of it. There's fire and explosions everywhere. And um, you round a corner and then you're in a trap. You know, you can't get away from it. And um again i guess this goes back to your point aaron it just shot really really well too yeah. it's made to put you at eye level with the characters and put you in their moments as they're trying to <laughs> get by and survive which is good because that's the whole point of this movie it's that these are not the heroes and here's another bit of funny so are you oh, sure yeah. that's a great gag <laughs> that wasn't me catches the grenade <laughs> and actually from here on out it's like it's the k2so show because his interaction with the stormtroopers coming up when they you know think that he's got prisoners it's just well when he smacks uh gala uh, yeah, yeah it says these are prisoners and i'm taking them to prison <laughs> You, you know, to, to draw comparisons to The Mandalorian here, one of the things, because I'm looking at the uh, ATSDs as it's walking by, this is one of those things that The Mandalorian also did well because it put you at kind of ground eye level with your heroes. They're not the larger-than-life characters. It's a lot easier to see how massive and threatening the Empire is, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's a fresh one if you mouth off again. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, you know, that ability to put you in the moment of, it doesn't matter what, you know, how heroic you think you are. The Empire's got overwhelming numbers. They can overwhelm anything. 
that you uh, throw at them. So you got to be smarter than they are. But you know they. But think about it though. They're why this is what's interesting. You got uh, Chirrut coming out, you know, to start his butt whooping. The whooping and a whooping. The Empire obviously they they control Jetta, but they don't control Jetta. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's uh, I, I just kind of kind of leave that there. It's otherwise you would think that you know the Empire just would have just mowed everybody down right there. Anybody who talked back, it would have just been you know. Well, it's it's also you know it's 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 a nature of you know it's a nature of uh, of uh, dictatorship or of a form a system of government that's not recognized by the people. The only way they can enforce their rule is through brute force. But there's not there's not a moment where the empire is here because they're going to make your life better, despite what their propaganda will tell you. And right now. Cheered him with just being a bad monkey. It's ruining lots of stormtrooper armor. Yeah. <laughs> like the crashed X-wing. Mm-hmm. Again, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things in the background of this movie that it's like, wow, there's a story there. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's the it's the Saw Gerrera feat. You know, it's like, oh, what happened there? You see an X-wing crashed in Jeddah. I mean that. Why? I mean what happened you know they mentioned earlier that you know jetta is lost basically it's a war zone yeah um and my my favorite line is coming up here when they all get captured when chirrut says are you kidding me i'm blind But, you know, what what this movie really excels at is establishing character quickly Mm-hmm. I mean, we really, really identify with and enjoy these characters. Well, it's a dirty um, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that—they have to do that. You have to, you have to establish them, and you have to make the audience care about them so that the the mission takes on more importance. Um, and they they just they just do a great job. It's like you, I think. Uh, a couple weeks back, we had an ep- episode where we were talking about Rogue One, and we're like, "Who would you have saved, you know, uh, from death?" And it's a hard choice because we love all of these people. They, they do a great job of giving you a cast of characters that you want to root for and follow, and you know, see them not, not just accomplish their goals, but you want to spend time with them, which is quite a surprising and difficult thing to do. Not every movie gives you. Characters, you're like, yeah, I want to get behind them. This movie does. And does it rather well, you know. Which kind of goes, again, it's a surprise that at the end of the day, the movie will have to, you know, you'll have to give them all up in order to accomplish the mission. All of of Saw's people look like they came out of the extras from Indiana Jones. Well, again, real world influences, though, too. You know, yeah. uh, it's a very practical thing. It's like we're living on a freaking desert planet with freaking sand flying through the air. It, it makes sense to cover your faces. Gets everywhere. Um, it's cool. Oh, it's like, <laughs> you love the sabak table there? Not the sabak, the uh, uh, chest, uh, the hollow chest table yeah, with, the, with the, the, the jark. Yeah. Yeah, the jark table, but it didn't have holograms. It was actually just the the figures. Yeah. <laughs> 
They can't afford those fancy holograms out here on Jetta. No, no, we're using power for important things like lighting up our tables where uh, Saul Guerrero is at. And, and for, <laughs> and for uh, Twi'lek porn. You know. That's right. Sorry, it's tough to say what's going on because they're just sitting in a cell. Um, well, this is one of my favorite lines, and I'm not sure if it's right here or it's a little bit later. Uh, I think it's a little bit later where he talks to Cassian, um, and he he tells him that I, there are all kinds of prisons, and I sense that you carry yours with you wherever you go. That's right here. Yeah, you're right. And um, that's just one of my favorite lines in, in the saga period. It's, it really gets at his character. Um, so do we, do he, we think that uh, Chirrut can use the Force or if he's like Maz Kanata and recognizes that the Force is a thing? Um, because he's, his role is what? A guardian? I mean, he's the, uh, Chirrut guardian of the will. Guardian. Yeah, guardian of the will. He, and he, he guard they guard the temple yeah um, so in many ways they're kind of like the uh, the the temple guards at the uh, Jedi temple then in um, Coruscant except they were actually Jedi right yeah they were actually force sensitive they can wield lightsabers yeah. you know these don't or base and chariot don't they're more practical although you get a sense that chariot has uh, you know, a connection to the Force. You know, what's also interesting is that this movie they they address the Force very much the way they address the Force in um, A New Hope as a religion. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, it it becomes more of a a power in um, Empire and Jedi. But in the first one, you remember, you know, Tarkin even says, you know, you're the last that remains of that religion, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that's the way Chirrut recognizes it as, again, as a religion. That's uh, a formal belief that's quantifiable that you practice, right. not necessarily as, a, as the energy field that allows you to lift rocks. And Saw Gerrera has a different haircut than we saw in the original uh, trailer, but that's all right. Or Rebels or anything else. It's interesting because here, he's when he's talking to Jin, it's very confrontational. It's there's You get a sense that, okay, there may have been some love between them, but that that's, he's well, going to cut that off. I, I, think, I think it's more to you know, Dave's point of at the beginning where it's like first of all the empire you know rips her parents away and then the only parent she has now is you know basically the only parent she has ditches her you know yeah. so um star wars if it's about nothing else it's about you know mommy and daddy issues um, <laughs> and, i mean that's that's what's going on here i mean she's you know everybody has basically abandoned her so that's what brings her back into the fight, though, because like at the beginning of the movie, she doesn't care. She's like, well, I, all right, just get off my back, you know, leave me alone. Uh, all right, I'll do this mission for you so that you'll leave me alone. Um, and then her, her father's message to her um, kind of reels her back into this, this conflict emotionally. 
Um, and now she's got a mission. She's got actually purpose in, in, in her life at this point. It's like, well, okay, we got to get my dad. Uh, and then when he, her dad dies, she's like, well, we got to complete his mission now. Um, and, you know, he, she didn't embrace the, you know, the path that was laid out for her from Saw ultimately. And I think Saw recognizes that right there. That's why he says, I got to show you this message now. And I'd say I love, I love the shot right now where the, the Death Star kind of comes from the dark side of Jedi to uh, line up its shot over the city. The, the upside down Death Star. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seriously, that I think that's a great choice that they made when you it, when you look at it from our perspective. It's like the Death Star is upside down, but then if you think about it in space, there's you know, no upside down. There's no upside down, right? So, I, I really like that when. Um... That's one thing I like about Force Awakens, um, and if, to a lesser extent, uh, Revenge of the Sith. When you open the movie and you get a new perspective on these ships that you're so familiar with, um, Last Jedi kind of does that too, where it's like we quite we, we haven't looked at things from this angle before. Attack of the Clones, they flip the ship upside down, it sails in, and there's a, a different direction of the pan. Um, I like that the I like when they think to do that because they should think to do that. They should mix it. And uh, and uh, here's where uh, Cassian and Base and Jeremy uh, Bodie. Yeah, and we rescue Bodie from the clutches, um, <laughs> the clutches of the uh, squid monster. <laughs> Well, you know, I liked that they. I liked that he was tortured. I don't like that he was tortured, but I think it was the correct decision. It's just like, you know, the method. Did it need to be a, a walking octopus? I don't know. Yeah, it was just kind of goofy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I now so where I'm at right now in the movie is Jin is starting to watch the message, um, and it is it is the retcons of all retcons, but actually. I don't really consider it a retcon. It's like, you know, the, the rebels found a weakness, you know, in 1977. It's mm -hmm. like, hey, we got the schematics and here's this weakness. Why couldn't that have been designed? It makes sense that a rogue scientist will, you know, uh, there we go, rogue, uh -huh, would, you know, would design, you know, a, uh, a structural, fail, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, People kind of kind of peed their pants over it, and to me, again, it was like, well, heck, it makes sense. I mean, what what do yeah. you think makes more sense that or, oops, we you know we left the uh, we left the barn door open, you know, we left the thermal you know you left the thermal exhaust port uh, two meters open, you know, it, it's like I love the Family Guy episode. It's like, yeah, it's just it's really good, except we just. You know, we get there's this hole. It's about two meters wide. Yeah, it's not any bigger than a womperat. You know, exactly. I said, well, we could put some wood over it. Well, we got to think about resale. <laughs> Aaron, I, I like your throwaway comment about him being rogue, um, because the name of the movie, Rogue One. We we're always talking about how these the, the names of these episodes, especially in the Mandalorian, have double meanings. And like this is, you know, this of course is the name of the ship, and, and and somewhat the team that occupies the ship. But 
like he's the first rogue agent in a way you know he's one of the first people to take steps to try to defeat the empire from within my question is this Saul has had this message from Galen since the beginning and it's never occurred to him to pass this along to the rest of the alliance well I mean he's he's as distrusting of them as right as they are they are of him and you know, in Rebels, they actually established that you know the the Alliance and Sagrera don't don't see that they, they don't get along. Um, but then so. he also gets Bodhi to show up asking for him and repeats everything that the message says, and he's still not trusting him. I mean, it kind of just goes more to the point of you know Galen thought, hey, I'm gonna send all this to my friend uh, Saul Guerrero, never realizing, yeah, Saul may not be the 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 most stable tool, you know, or the yeah. most stable guy left when you know, around there's a problem then, on the horizon but then there's he knows no the horizon idea. sorry that's another funny case <laughs> that's a great line I, I think it's way too easy for them to like break out of prison at this point but again i guess there's chaos okay 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 so i actually when i was watching this the other day on tv i got why is it that just blasting a lock automatically opens a door in the star wars universe i mean that is just that is just the way it goes, and <laughs> well, or, or, or locks it. Remember, that's the other thing. It either locks or unlocks, depending on that's what you do. That's true. Luke blasts it, and it yeah, it locks, and then uh, you know Han blasts it, and it open. I just yeah. <laughs> just blast it. That'll sort it. <laughs> They're like gunslingers. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just like all of Saw's men like disappear. Like they got out of there quick. Well, you know, this whole thing, you know, talk about symbolism, you know, Jin's world is just really coming down around her. I mean, Literally. you know, thought her dad was dead and these turns out that he's been working for an empire and building this super weapon. And this, uh, this is just a very symbolic uh, moment. And then I love Krennic saying, looking at the explosion, saying it's beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, foreshadowing. Yeah, because he's not seeing it from uh, from my level. He's seeing it from a distance. You know, he's not there looking at it all, at them. You know, the whole earth coming up around them. Uh, it makes his come on it's better later on. But yeah, I, even even taking that out of the equation, like just him saying that, so dispassionate and and just gross. Because you see these people on the surface of the planet struggling for their lives so right quick quick question regarding saw choosing to die there because again it goes to the, you know i know we you know if you saw him in rebels and you saw him in clone wars you kind of get a better sense of the character but yeah <laughs> not very optimistic about our odds not now okay <laughs> uh but you know his choice to just stay there and die i wonder what's prompted him to this point because he saw his one defining characteristic has been his willingness to do whatever it takes to keep fighting. But here it's almost like, nope. Takes off his... Uh, I think he knows his, his options are, I mean, if he, he, if, he go, if he goes with them, then the, the Alliance will probably kill him. You know, I mean, the, obviously we see, the, it, we see in this movie that the Rebel Alliance are 
the good guys, but they're not all that good. If it's like, you know, they're, they're, ta they're taking people out. We see it from the very beginning with Cassie and, you know, shooting a guy in the back. Saw's got to know that he's got to know that it's not like they're going to say, Hey, welcome back to the family. Saw we'll, you know, we'll take the yeah, alliance is not very much allied, you know, allied together. Well, he, he's made his bed. Um, he's probably alienated each of the leaders of the actual alliance at this point. He's, he does not see a home there. Um, so it, 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 it makes sense for him. More sense than, than Lyra uh, uh, bum-rushing Krennic, but... <laughs> but here's where uh, Tarkin decides, you know, this looks good. I'm taking it. Well, so it's really interesting. It's getting back to what you said not, you know, about Lyra bum-rushing Krennic. Um, I saw an article there. Somebody was talking to Ryan Johnson and it's when he was sitting down to write The Last Jedi. And he's like, um, basically, I can't remember what the exact scenario was, but it was like, well, let's just, let's just say, you know, how does, let's put it in the Rogue One perspective, how does Galen Erso get off the planet and get with the Empire? And so you end up just brainstorming every possibility. Well, it could be that he went willingly. And it could be that, the Empire just, you know, killed, you know, his wife, it, all the different things. And so eventually you just come down to what is the, the best way to get the result you need. It's not necessarily always the best answer. It might be the quickest answer. So I just, I, that's, I guess what I'm saying is I think it'd be interesting to know more about the writing process for these, for these movies. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, they said, J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan went on long walks and recorded their conversation. And I always have it in my brain that they're like, I know the exact story I'm going to tell. And maybe this is something we talked to Brittany about when she's back to talk about her short story and a certain point of view. Is how did you how did you come up with that story? Walk us through the process. You know, you know, how do you like I said, in my mind, it's like the song's already written. You know what I mean? Whereas most of the time it's, you know, Jackson Brown has half the line and then Glenn Fry comes in and just writes something that rhymes with it. And now you've got, I'm standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, you know, um, I, I guess, I guess just like I said, the writing process is what I want to know. Because mm -hmm. uh, because I mean, all this brings from the idea, who was it? Was it John Knoll who had it or? Which mm -hmm. which of the John Knoll, yeah, yeah, the idea of okay, we got the original title crawl and a new hope back in '77, saying they won their first victory, which I wouldn't necessarily call it that they won a victory, but okay, and that in the middle of all that they stole the plans to the Death Star, and let's show you how that happened. That's kind of the genesis of the, of this movie. So it could have been any number of ways that they did it. And at one point, we know from some of the footage that was filmed. The idea was, oh, they'll get the plans off the, off the of, of, of Scarif, but then ultimately they went back to no. Remember, the crawl says, you know, Vader says in the movie, several transmissions were beamed aboard this ship. Yeah. So, the canon says, no, you didn't run. You know, the, the whoever stole them didn't just up and bring the 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 plans. They 
sent them, they transmitted them. You know, so we're watching this uh, conflict between Jin and Cassian. Cassian's really on the same journey as Jin, isn't he? Yeah, they're just coming at it from different backgrounds, right? Um, like, the, and that's what, their their confrontation after this uh, skirmish, uh, in which her father dies. Ultimately, is to me some of the best uh, acting in the saga too, because they both come at it from a perspective that you can understand as an audience member and identify with and uh, and kind of support them in it. Um, and it's like, gosh, that's that's great writing that they're that they're in conflict, but they're both they're both totally in character. Well, and that's part of the arc that these characters are going through. Because of their situations, because of the roads they've gone on, they've, had, they've got little trust for anything else around them. Uh, Cassian is devoted to the Alliance. He sacrificed much to the Alliance, but he doesn't recognize himself at this point. Jin has faced uh, you, know, you know, misery after misery to the point that she's not even looking for anybody else to lend a helping hand. She's just trying to you know, save herself as much as possible. So there's a little trust between them to the world at large or to one another. So I think that that's part of their journey is that they have to learn how to trust and how to believe in other people and believe in a greater cause, so to speak. Uh, by the way, did you guys ever see the, um, like, different clips of Riz Ahmed um, basically auditioning for this role of Bodie Rook? No. I, I, he would, I think they said he would send Gareth Edwards like a new video every day of like, you know, he auditioned, but then it was like, oh, here's a different way I could do it. Here's a different way I could do it. Um, he was you could, he's just totally into this role. He's one of my favorites in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I, and I, I think in many ways he represents so many of, you know, we, you know we, when you were just talking earlier about the Empire and the Empire exists as this massive overwhelming entity but so many of the people in there are not you know are human beings so many of the people behind the armors and behind the uniforms are people who either got conscripted or grabbed or you know very much like uh, uh like finn later on will be by the first order you know they're just taken not given a choice to serve and if they had their choice they would be in the middle of all this I'm going to go back to the aesthetics. They even gave people like 70s mustaches and 70s haircuts. Really, the attention to detail in this movie is mm-hmm. just uncanny. Well, they, they recognize. I mean, you're going to want to see this and then see on your hope. And if it don't fit, it's going to stick out. So obviously at this point, he... Um, He's fully intending to kill her father. Um, this is why he separates the team, tells her not to come along. And I like the line from Chirrut where he says, you know, the force, you know, gets dark around somebody who's about to kill. Mm-hmm. Which tells you there's a connection he has to the force, even if he's not a Jedi. 
But even K2SO is on Jin's side, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Better ways to cheer it are just really telling. And it, it's funny too, like they've all just come together so quickly, but they it, it all feels very natural at this point. They're not all they're not all on the same page yet, um, but like they're they're a crew now, mm -hmm. um, and you totally buy that. There's a line where he says uh, regarding Cassian, but he had the look of a killer. I even like the uh, the the hats they're wearing. It looks like you know the Endor Rebel Trooper hats. You know, uh, the the one that Rex was wearing on Endor. Yeah, that's right. Well, the one they're all wearing. Yeah. Feels like to me now, this might be one of the things where I might say, Oh, I might have changed this. Um, it's an odd coincidence that Krennic keeps ending up in the same place that our protagonists keep ending up, you know. Um, I mean, he has a good uh, uh, the plot dictates and, and tells you that it, there's a good reason for him to come to this planet. Uh, to investigate the issues. Um, but it's kind of odd, you know, like they're all in Jetta together and now they're all here at Edu together and then they're going to be at Scarif together. Um, it they almost feels drawn. a little, it feels a little coincidental. But they keep getting drawn against one another, but it's also part of the nature of the fact that they're all tied together by Galen. Galen's the one that's bringing them together. Galen designs the structural flaw in the Death Star, helps Krennic build it, and that's who's sending Bodhi uh, the, as the messenger for to try to reach the Alliance on how to destroy it, which brings Jin and brings everybody else around. Cassie comes back, we're leaving without them. You know, if you look at it in, in more of like a traditional heist film, uh, it makes it makes more sense structurally that way. Yeah, it was like we're all trying to get the same thing, um, right. you know. So we're all chasing after the same thing, and so in that sense, it makes sense for them to keep running into them. Um, and that's something that I guess Rise of Skywalker did or was going for as well. Mm -hmm. No, and they recognize. I mean, and that's and that's and that's an interesting thing. I mean, that they do build. Every step of um, of this heist is built along the lines of okay, you what is it you're trying to get? You're trying to get the maps. Well, first you gotta get the guy who knows where to get them, okay? And that brings you to the next step, which is here, Edu, and regarding uh, who knows, which is Galen, and that's gonna then next bring you to Scarif, which is where the plants are, and how to how do we get them out? That kind of thing. And this, this, um, we're not quite there yet, but the sequence when the, uh, he tries to call off the attack and the attack still comes, uh, they really build the tension there really effectively through the score. Um, the score is an interesting topic because we've talked about that. Um, you know, this was the first non John Williams, uh, scored major release and, um, 
I think there's some successes and some failures here, um, but I really, really like uh, the the kind of bombastic, almost triumphant sounding music that plays when the X-Wing fighters come in to bombard the platform. And it's like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good at all. You know, the only... Um... The only uh, music, honest, honestly, that is memorable for me in this whole movie is uh, the music with the Battle of Scarif right at the end when they break through the shield generator. Just because that, just the way that, you know, really is, it's, it's such a, we'll talk about it when we get there, but it's such a calming music for something that is so, you know, awful. It's, it was just an interesting uh, choice that they made. But otherwise, I thought I, I can't really hum anything from Rogue One. I always, I always like the music. And when we get to it, I'll point it out at the start of um, when they're all sneaking around the beach in Scarab, right mm -hmm. before the, the whole you know, battle begins. Because, again, it's very much the idea of a heist movie. It's just it's building the tension. It's building the tension. You're waiting for that moment that's just going to make it explode. I will say though that I don't think there's only there's only one bad musical moment in this movie, and that is when the Rogue One title comes on. That's the only bad musical moment. That's because I I mean otherwise it it must have it must have sat well with me. It must have fit. And I also have to put it in the perspective of I, I haven't been sitting in front of my record player for eight hours a day listening to the Star Wars, you know. Um, you know, double album, you know, set and memorizing and getting to know that music. Like, you know, I didn't do that with Rogue One like I did with Star Wars. That's, I have to remember that. Um, but I do know in the movie theater when that first main title hit, I went, ugh. <laughs> I, I just, it was a literal like, ugh, that was just bad. But then I also remember, like I said, the Battle of Scarif. I was like, oh, wow, this is a cool musical moment. So, um, the other stuff in the middle must have sat well with me, must have, you know, made sense. Um, what do you think uh, ultimately made uh, Cassian not shoot? Was it that he had a change of heart or is it because somebody shot first or? Jen. I think he sees Jen on the platform and there's some, you know, he, you know, he has a moment where he stops and goes, okay, I'm not really will willing to kill her dad in front of her when that's the only thing she's trying to live for. I mean, whether he saw her or not, I'm not sure if he saw her before or after that moment um, in terms of what the film tells us. But yeah, I do think it's because of her. Like she's already gotten to him in a way and reached him in a way so that other characters have not. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he's, he's, he's wanting to retain his own humanity still. I love the shot of the TIE fighters swinging past the uh, uh, chariot and base. I just think it's a really pretty shot. Well, there's also another camera technique that they use where basically it would be like putting a GoPro on the back of, a, of an X-Wing, you know, type mm -hmm. of thing. That perspective, that's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of got a little bit in, in A New Hope but not as much as they did in this movie, I think. But boom. 
Yeah, they use it particularly as well at the Battle of Scarif, you know, when the X-Wings are engaging and they're, they're dogfighting. Again, it's really fun. It, you know, it makes you want to throw on Rogue Squadron and start playing. <laughs> Speaking of which, a uh, little dovetail here, guys. You know, my Nintendo Switch stories, I for $5.50, I bought Star Wars Racer. Oh yeah, it's uh, <laughs> kind of clunky on the switch, but uh, yeah, it's not much clunky. It's it's, <laughs> it's worth five and a half bucks. So there you go. Yeah, as long as you remember, look, you're talking 1999 technology in 2020. You know, but it's very fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm obviously very bad at racing games because I got in tenth place. Oh, well, the, the, the key with that is, is just to, you know, get enough coin to start buying all the um, upgrade options. And then you want to end up with Neva Keys, uh, uh, Solid uh, Racer, because that's the best one. You know, I always think of, um, not to switch topics too abruptly, but um, Sorry, when you talk about, <laughs> when you talk about the on. Rebels winning their first battle, um, which comes after this point. But this is a very effective strike for them. I mean, they, they kind of get in and out here, and they, they, they attack an Imperial base. And Let's put it into – let's talk about you know, Rebels, the animated series. They did that yeah. every episode. Yep. You know, there was some little strike or something where they you know, stuck it to the Empire, but it was nothing that really – they didn't really accomplish anything here, you know. I mean, yeah, they, they killed the guy who designed the Death Star, but the Death Star's already been built. Oops. <laughs> like, like they talk about you no, know, you know, burning down the barn after the horse ran out. Yeah, it always seemed like a bit of a harebrained idea to try to kill him in the first place. It's like, well, the thing's already built. You you don't know that it's completely built, but you know that it's close to being completely built. So uh, murdering off the uh, creator of the thing isn't necessarily a winning strategy. Right. But, uh, yeah, no, you know, it's like, all these little skirmishes that they have had and they have had success with, um, you know, so you're kind of playing, you have to like really actually strain to say, well, this is their first victory on Scarif. Yeah, exactly though. You know, you have to, you have to work at it, but, um, and of course this is, you know, super emotional right. with her dad. I think this all works. Yeah, in many ways, I think uh, right here we're getting to the emotional core of the story because Jin has been looked, you know, has been raised by Saul, just saw Saul die. Uh, you see Saul so die? <laughs> she saw Saul Guerrero die. I know. I know. Look, bad names. Anyway. Um, and you then, already did it. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, sees, reconnects with her dad right as, he's, right as he dies, too. So. It's like she lost both her surrogate father and her real father in a matter of hours. And, you know, she's very much brought low to this moment because she gets to now say, okay, what the heck am I doing? No, I'm going to do. Because technically speaking, she, she can walk away from all this right now. 
but she takes on what her dad's mission was, which was to stop the Death Star. Wow, they really destroyed that thing. So she... Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, Lucy's really ticked off. That's all right. Yeah. Um, so this is where, it, you know, it finally comes to bear um, their different perspectives and their different upbringings and, and how it affects them. And, um, you know, Cassian is, is fully within his rights to kind of sneer at her privilege um, because, like, she has not had to sacrifice in the same way that he has had to. Um, but by the same token, she knows there's a better way and she can speak to humanity mattering. Um, you know, it's if you you can become as bad as your enemy if you don't care about winning in the right way, so to speak. And they each come they each have a great point here. And I think it really sort of lays the foundation for where they come to eventually, where they, they ultimately decide, you know what, we're in this together. Mm -hmm. Because he, he wants, he, he, you know, he can, he can yell at her about not having to deal with what he has to deal with, but he wants to be in her shoes. To not he doesn't want to be yeah he doesn't want to not care he doesn't want to be a soulless robot um he wants to be in her position where he can he can make moral choices so, and it's also yeah and it's also yeah, go ahead no go ahead fredo no, it's just, and it's also a question of i mean when he's telling her look i've been living this since age six you know when you're talking about privilege that she can choose to be involved or not be involved. She can choose to involve herself as much as he wants. He's already in all the way. He's committed to this. And uh, that's a lot harder to live with the decisions you're making because it's not a, you know, you can't you don't get to turn it off and run away. He has to live with everything he does. I hope right. that he's made the right choice. So I will, I'll save, uh, remind me I was going to say something about the character of Cassian, but here we are coming on to Mustafar, which, by the way, we don't get a nameplate for. <laughs> <laughs> because they wanted a surprise. They, they wanted to surprise us. Um, the, uh, wh what do we think? Do, I, I still contend that they should have left this scene out, and the first time we see Vader is when he comes busting out of... Uh, actually, you know what? Not even when he comes busting out of hyperspace. I think you see. I think it would be cool if you would have maybe just seen the star destroyer come out, and maybe just a kind of a back of his helmet type of a deal, and then show the hallway scene. Then it just would have been. But I think this whole thing with you know confrontation with Krennic and Vader. Mm. I think they have to. They have to create a reason for Krennic to go to Scarif, which is what Vader gives them. But it also has to create a reason for, look, the Death Star has just been fired and they destroyed a major operations of the Empire of Jeddah. And instead, but well, we know from A New Hope that the Death Star is still an unknown entity. Does, does, Vader, because, tell him to, does Vader tell him to go to Scarif? Well, it tells him that he wants to make sure that there's not, that, that uh, Galen Ursa didn't do anything else to sabotage it. So the only way you can confirm this is with the plans that are in Scarif. Yeah, what I'm saying though, they, they could have done that in a bunch of different ways. That could have come from Tarkin. That could have come from Tarkin. 
Uh, True, but but I, the point I, being, the point being, you know, we know from a new hope that the Death Star is not an entity that's known around the galaxy because it's only just been finished. You know, they're going to finally do a full test when they blow up Alderaan. So they have to create a dynamic by which, okay, we know Death Star exists, but it's still not a known thing in any hope. Also, Vader is the enforcer, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's the he is the person that will instill fear. You see his fear here. He he doesn't fear Tarkin, you know. He doesn't he doesn't fear these other Imperials. This is the guy you don't want to piss off, and that just serves as extra motivation for him to like try to close any loopholes. Um, so I, you know, storytelling wise, you can make that argument, and I like it for prequel fans. Um, and it says so much about Anakin's character to me that he would choose, willingly choose to live here. And if he didn't choose it, the Emperor chose it for him. And if the Emperor chose it for him, that's just unbelievably cruel. Um, but, you know, either way, either the Emperor's being unbelievably cruel and leaving him here, or he's just, like, self-flagellating. Uh, and it's just... Um, it's just tragic. Um, but, uh, and, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, but it's also what's interesting in regards to the character of Krennic. We've heard nothing but, oh, you're going to talk to the Emperor? You're going to talk to the Emperor from a uh, levy that uh, a Tarkin? And when the situation arises that he needs to go above Tarkin's head, the person he goes to is Vader, which kind of says a lot regarding his ambitions. You know, he's afraid of Vader. He clearly is, but he's like, if I back out now, Tarkin wins and I get nothing. Right. I'm gonna go or McClunky, I'm gonna go see the I'm gonna see the devil himself and see if I can swing a deal. So thing I was gonna ask earlier, um, uh, I guess I'll I'll pose the question and I'll give my two cents on it. Um, what what kind of Cassian are we going to see in the Cassian Andor series? Because in this one we're seeing this is my thought. We're seeing somebody who is um, as cold as ice and coming out, coming out of that shell. He is coming back to his, his probably true good nature. I, are, are we going to see in the Cassian Andor series, are we going to see that shell get created, that suit of armor get created? Well, I guess here's because my... you can't I, you can't have a series or two season or a season or two seasons or whatever it's going to be of him being this Cassian. Otherwise, I don't think anybody's going to want to watch that series. Well, what's interesting to me is, and I guess it goes to the question of how long of a series is it going to be. It's going to be a limited series, like Kenobi has been confirmed to be by Kathleen Kennedy, where it's just six episodes. Or are we expecting a multi-season uh, series, a la The Mandalorian? Because, you know, on the one hand, one, you know, a short series could probably walk you a few steps back, you know, maybe kind of a few flashbacks into Cassian's background, that kind of thing. But if you're doing a full 10 to 13 episode series kind of a thing where you're having multiple seasons, you're probably going to have to start somewhere with him where he's far more positive and slowly it starts losing some of that hope. And I don't know, you know, it becomes harder edge and makes tougher decisions and time to sacrifice friends. And that's going to be not necessarily a fun ride to go through. 
Yeah, I, th I really do think it's going to be the fall and rise of Cassie and Andor. Which okay, does that does that mean that we does it does it, does that series is going to end when we meet him here in that same hallway shooting the dude in the back? <laughs> I I think that would be a cool place to to take it, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know I don't know what their plans are for it. Mm -hmm. um, so talking about right quick about the alliance tree and scene here what i've always kind of mean it's an interesting scene because clearly it shows that the alliance is not you know an alliance people are having to go a thousand different general Sindula, please report to the briefing room yeah yeah uh <laughs> because but it's nowhere near i mean when we saw rebels we saw a, a rebel alliance that's far more united this is not the same rebel alliance that we see in uh in rebels you know well, that's because they get some mojo at the end of this movie, right? They actually prove that they can be a legitimate threat to the Empire. So, you know, it, it's going back to my teaching days, you know, one of the key factors in motivation is success. You know, if, if you're successful at something, you're going to want to try to do it again. So, you know, right now they've been nothing but on the run. You know, you look at, like I said, you look at the Rebels uh, series, you know, it's they're you know they're trying to get things going but people are you know they're small they're getting you know they're just basically if they get away it's a victory you know they're not actually like I said doing any harm to the empire mm -hmm. here they do some harm to the empire and so you know mm -hmm. um, one thing i can say too is like if it seems like they're less united here um that's storytelling <laughs> i yeah. mean you know it's like we, we talk about the avengers movies it's the same way you know it's like you put all these heroes together and they feel invincible and so how do they not feel invincible by not being united um and i think that's part of the reason that this plays out the way that it does but i don't know i mean the other part of it too is um you know the uh, the whole underdog thing you know I, I mean i guess i just touched on that but it's like they're they're going into insurmountable odds because they don't have the full backing of the rebellion behind them it's just them and it's one ship um i guess it it, it ups the drama level quite a bit um and ultimately gets resolved and you know 10 minutes later anyway so right, so i have to tell you this was awesome you know because K2SO's, you know, I'm with you, Jin, because Cassian said I have to. So <laughs> when I was at Star Wars Celebration and I had my Rogue One poster and Alan Tudyk was going to sign it, it was the day that actually it was the day after they announced that Alan Tudyk was going to be in the Cassian series. Anyway, so he asked, he said, can I do you mind if I sign it over the palm trees here? And I said, no, that's fine. I said, Cassian said you had to. And so he signed it. Cassian said I had to. <laughs> Alan Tudyk. So yeah, that was, which is perfect. Yeah, that's why. That's why I really want. I, my goal one day is I want to get Samuel L. Jackson to sign my Mace Windu figure, and I want him to ride Bad Mfer on it. <laughs> I think that would just, and I would. Uh, I think that would just be the greatest. Thing I could ever have signed. Well, which which is your Mace window figure? The one that says "Bad Effort." I just, uh, just yeah. So, 
So, okay. I think we, oh no, we're not there yet. We're not back to, we're not to my second least favorite moment. Um, we'll, with the C3PO and R2D2, we'll get there. <laughs> um, hey, by the way, they're saying, okay, quick question, because this got brought up in, in another video that I saw. Is that a continuity error that they get to cut to that scene? Because that's after when uh, Raditz has attacked, um, has already left to attack Scarif, and we're led to believe that the Tantive Four is docked on his ship, right? Well, it could have docked at any time. They could have but, caught up with, you know, Raditz's ship. Um, real quick, yeah, if, I can interrupt be... you, if I can interrupt you here just real, real quick, you know, we got Mon Mothma inquiring about Bail Organa's Jedi friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, trust me. At the time, I was going, uh, what, uh, really, how does she know about Obi-Wan? Mm-hmm. But then Rebels does a good job because since Ezra encounters Obi-Wan and I'm sure then tells, you know, Mon Mothma knows of, you know, that he's out there. So I'm just saying Rebels did a good job of kind of, kind of tidying up that box. But um, yeah. Now the C three PO R two D two thing, um, I don't necessarily know if it's a continuity error. I just think I, I think <laughs> they could have been. I still think the best place they could have been put is at the very end of this movie. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. when you open up the door and you see, or actually, even if you have um, the rebel trooper who's got the plans to go give to Princess Leia, Captain Antilles, all he has to do is just walk by. C-3PO and R2-D2 and everybody in the whole theater would have went, you know, but, um, you know, this is all Monday morning quarterbacking, you know, so. This stuff with the shield is a very nice callback or I guess call forward to Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have to sneak in. Access codes and stolen shuttles. Yeah, yeah. And it makes sense they have the stolen shuttle because they, they swiped it off of you, do, you know. All right, so let me ask you this. When does it be, when, what is the difference between a nice callback and um, just uh, lazy fan writing? <laughs> lazy writing or fan service, yes. What is, what is the difference? I mean, uh, so I, I, I agree with you. I have no problem with this, that it's, you know, but it's like people talking about the throne room scene and, um, uh, the Last Jedi being basically a carbon copy of the throne room scene in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, so when does it? How, how do you how do you just how do you explain a nice callback and homage and just fan servicey bad writing? You know we talked about that some, and I, you know a lot of it just boils down to execution, like doing it well. Um, but I also feel like um, throwing a curveball at the audience. Is, is often a really effective way to handle that. Um, handle it differently. Show us something that we haven't seen before. You're showing us the same thing we've seen before, but you're showing it to us in a different way, different light, a different context. Um, and, it, you know, I think, like, those are, the, those are the important decisions you can make because if you just show us, you know, um, the the two yokels on the on Jetta, you know, you just watch yourself, you know. It's just, you know, then it's like groan worthy, right? Because um, mm-hmm. it's the same exact thing. Um, 
you know, whether you laugh at it or not, it's just, it's, it's a little more on the lazy side to me. Um, whereas, you know, something like this, they incorporate it in a different way. You know, it's a similar plot element, but they're like, well, let's, let's, um, let's, let's mix it up a little bit. You can tell the shield dynamic is, is completely different, mm -hmm. you know, because there's that ship that they have to, or that control center that they eventually have to take down. Yeah. It becomes a part, an important part of the plot eventually. Um, so, th I mean, like that's, I guess that's how I would uh, define it. Right. And I think it's, it's important. I mean, it, it goes to the idea of how you're using an element that's been introduced pre in previous movies, like uh, whether it's, because look, look at something like the duel at the start of Revenge of the Sith where it's a similar nature throne room to the one in Return of the Jedi. You know, Palpatine's even in a similar throne, sitting down, you know, when um, Luke and Obi-Wan I mean, Obi and Anakin come in. It's meant to evoke that same image of, of the Emperor in Endor and Return of the Jedi. So you're playing, you're making a rhyme to requote uh, uh, George Lucas's words, but it still functions because you know you have to have this duel in some kind of way. So doing it, so doing that duel in that setting calls back to the one that you'll see in Return of the Jedi, but it doesn't do it in a way that's distracting. It doesn't call attention to itself. If you never see Return of the Jedi, it still functions. Whereas you know, say the one, the, the, the callback in here, it's, um, it's meant to call itself to the previous callback. If you didn't see A New Hope, that one doesn't work. One other thing, too, that I would say is, like, does it enhance the original reference, to, too? Yeah. You right. know, like, when, you know, when you make a callback to, to the original work, does it make that original work stronger? Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of examples of that that we can point to. Right. And that's one thing that I think particularly, whether it's J.J. Abrams or um, Ryan Johnson, or Gareth Edwards, or Ron Howard. They've done a good job of, you know, taking elements from the original movies and sprinkling them in in such a way that if you notice that, you know, what they are, you can kind of get a sense of what the original is calling to, calling back to. But it doesn't, you know, if you, again, if you didn't see it, it doesn't distract from it. It just adds. So that positive or neutral, it's never negative. Except for, well, so... That one that Aaron loves so much. Upon the bottle. What do we think of the general uh, infiltration here? Um, I mean, I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't come off as them. Uh, you know. Too easy, too easy. You call that easy, you know. Like, <laughs> it's tempting for that to be the case uh, in these situations, and I don't get that vibe here at all. You get a sense that they're very much that they're risking a lot, that they know it's a risk. But like, but like Jen says, they don't know we're coming, so that's their advantage. Their advantage is they're not expected to be there. They're not expected to have landed on Scarab. You know, the moment they go off. You know they're gonna they're gonna catch them, you know, unawares. But you know so that's, that's the advantage. 
Sorry, this this is it. Kind of reminds me. Of, first of all, they they don't have a game plan. Their plan is, okay, the three yes. of us are going to get the plans. Um, you guys, you know, distract them and Bodhi get ready to get us out of here. That's their plan. So it kind of reminds me of when we would play basketball in our driveway, and you know, my sister played, um, you know, played basketball in high school. I played, you know, I I played some organized basketball. Our brother did not. And our brother was the king of slot ball. Mm. And so while my sister and I were trying to do technically accurate things, my brother was doing the sky hook from the yard and <laughs> swishing it every time. And it just ticks you off. He would beat you. And that's kind of what's going on here. The empire is, they're tactical. They're, um, you know, they're very much about having a game plan. And the rebels here are playing slot ball. They're, they're acting on instinct and that's, I mean, that just is what it, by the way, quick, my brother, quick it's moment. my brother playing basketball in the driveway. But a quick moment real quick. The two stormtroopers talking about Mark making the T-15 obsolete. Yeah. <laughs> Which gets called back in A New Hope when the two stormtroopers that Ben tricks when he's powering the, the, the tractor beam is like, oh, we're finally getting the T-16. It's like, do, do all stormtroopers get the same mail letter? Do, do they get a, <laughs> you know, no, and then this same. and then this other one says what the, <laughs> which is a very much a callback to Return of the Jedi too. So I think there's some genetic splicing going on there somewhere. K2SO getting into the brain of the other droid is creepy. Uh, I like it though. I love the idea that, you know, like when he says, oh, we're going to need a map. And it's like, well, I'm sure there's one laying about. And, and, and Cassian's very much like, you know what you're going to have to do. So he understands that it's not, he's asking him to do something he's not going to like. But that is for the for the mission. And so he's going to do it. But he, it speaks to the relationship. They're aware of what each other likes and doesn't like. And this this is laid out intelligently here. So you can understand... Like, what's at play? It's like, we're not going to make it unless, you know, this distraction occurs. Mm -hmm. so, like, so they're like, okay, light them up. <laughs> because we've got to make it. That's, this is the only way we're going we're gonna to make it. And they're going to have to draw fire for us. Right. And then I, just, I love um, the reaction of the command center or the lack of reaction by the command center. <laughs> Nobody's doing anything. They're just like, wait. They just what? <laughs> like fireworks going off and everyone's just watching. It's like, oh. And, yeah, it's, and it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It was like, what the heck? And they're just like, huh. Because again, it wasn't expected. Yeah. Caught them with their pants down completely. Very much so. So, uh, Another really kind of cool thing, this scene here where all the troopers are running through the, the station, um, mm -hmm. that was actually filmed in a, um, in a train station in London. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the, in the middle of the night, they, 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 like they said, it was, they walked down the stairs. Everybody's like leaving work and everybody, the Star Wars people are going, Hey, how's it going? Nobody knows what's <laughs> going on. Then they close off the train station. They dress it up and then daylight hits and they're coming up the stairs. Hey, how's it going? Nobody knew that they filmed Star <laughs> Wars in that train station. Nice. So wait, is there, okay, 
the other type of trooper we're getting is that a beach trooper? What, what's the designation? Sure, sure, shore trooper. trooper. Yeah, I want that armor too. That's cool because actually, I want that armor because it looks cool and because you can sit down in it. So, um, <laughs> but it's also again, it's a new design. Again, we got two new designs here we got the death troopers and we got the shore troopers. And each one's in, uh, I think the, the, the shore troopers look much more flexible and livable with than the death troopers. Those look rather stiff. Yeah. You know, that's, that is the one thing that does it. I understand why we've talked about it before. It's because you can't release the same toy over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and they started it with empire. It's like, we go to the, the, you know, the snowy. we go to Hoth. And so we need to have a snowy, right? Um, but it's, it's one of those things now it's like in rogue one. So I understand why you do that from 77 to, to 80 to 83. Um, but to do that in, you know, in the 20, you know, in what was this 2015 mm -hmm. or whatever, 2016. You know, 2016 to, to fit in with a movie that was in 1977 that now to have all these different TIE fighters and all these different troopers, that is a little bit like kind of wonky. I can, I can rationalize my way around it. But like, you know, the, the galaxy's big, you know, and sure we're only seeing the death star really in a new hope. And, and realistically, I mean, Oh, the, here's the R2 and 3PO thing. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> well, I liked the scene on Yavin before this, when Mon Mothma got informed about the, the strike and uh, she gave that l tiniest little half smile. Like finally, <laughs> but it's I, I think I, but I think it also goes to the idea of that a new hope was a very limited view of the whole galactic civil war. It's yeah, very I, much I, I, uh, yeah, it's... yeah. You're following the thread of the Death Star plans, and that's it. It's you don't deviate. You don't see anything that Han and Luke and Leia don't see. But does it make sense to make this all new Tie Fighter? that's going to fly around Scarif that we're never going to see anywhere else, even remotely close. I'm just saying from a, from a, just from a movie making perspective, I know you want to put your signature on it. I'm not, and I know this is a nitpick thing as well, Dave, but it's just like, we spent our time to design this new TIE fighter that we're going to see in the distance and never really deal with ever again. Why not just keep using the TIE fighters that we knew? You know what I mean? Selling toys. Or or the at at the poorly designed, I'm sorry, at act. At act. A-T-A-C-T. They're halfway to the uh, Mars Attacks Martians. It's it's <laughs> the, the all-terrain armored cargo transport, I think. Um, but yeah, that is just poorly designed with the balsa but, wood middle or something. I don't know. <laughs> By the way, I I know we skipped it, but I love the little moment where Bodhi is calling in all the other strikes at the other pads that are not happening. This is yeah. uh, Imperial forces and whatnot. Away well, from again, it's, that, it's, it's Cassian's direction that I just loved. He said, make, you know, make 10 men seem like a hundred, mm -hmm. you know, so, that's what they're doing there. It's like when you're confronted by, when you see a black bear in the woods, you're supposed to make yourself look bigger than you are. And it will, you know, mm -hmm. All right, so we got to talk about the fleet here, right? Yep. Uh, all, the, all the leaders declaring themselves using the yeah. fleet from New Hope. 
the old footage, and I love the addition of another squadron uh, blue. Um, just because it's like, yeah, blue gets mowed down here. It would make sense uh, that one of the squadrons wouldn't make it out of this battle, basically. And it's um, all we didn't see in a new hope. Yeah, it's really smartly done. And you even get to see Red 5 by it. Uh, yeah, you get to yeah. understand what, where Luke gets his call signal. Yeah. yeah. Um, Shouldn't we have seen Biggs in here? Not necessarily because in a, in a new hope. In a new oh, hope. Sorry, no, because, you know, from the, the deleted, deleted scene, he was... Yeah, he, he's still in Tatooine. He's about to leave. Yeah. Huh? So I think I think the Death Star mission was his first mission. So and that's still coming up, you know, in a I don't know, few few weeks, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. A, how much time do you think uh, is it spans between Rogue One and the Death Star um, battle? Whatever, whatever. I mean, suppose we're supposed to expect under a week. Yeah, we're supposed to expect that Rogue One and A New Hope happen. You know. Back to back, some well, yes, they're back to back. That's what I'm saying. But how but that's long? What I'm saying. So, whatever length of time a new hope took to go from its opening to the Death Star run, and that's, that's my question. Run. How long do you think that was? Dave says a week and a week under a week. I would say, yeah, I would say a few days. It's not, it's not long because I mean, you know, even you know, even though we're talking traveling through space, whatever, you know, R2 and 3PO spend a few days in the care and the. And, you know, being held by the Jawas, they get sold to Owen. R2 leaves that very night. The next morning is when... You're assuming um, it's the next morning. I'm just saying. That's, that's one I'm of my saying. things. That's one of my problems with, uh, with, with, with some movies. And it's, it's like when they start getting into the continuity thing, it's like you're just assuming because it was nighttime in the scene before and it's daylight but now I'm, that it's the very I'm saying, I'm saying... I'm saying it's possible that they spent a few days under the, you know, being held by the Jawas from the moment they get captured. So it could have been a day, it could have been three days. We don't know. You know, the Jawas may have spent a whole week doing laps around uh, Tatooine before they came to the Lars homestead. But once they get in the hands of the Lars and Luke, the very that very night, R2 takes off. The next day, Luke, um, you know, goes chasing after him, ends up meeting Ben. And that's when Owen and Baru died. So you know what? I'm sorry. On a totally different uh, topic. Yeah. What's really interesting here because Bay's just you know shot at the at act. Um, it's the first time we actually saw a, like an actual artillery shell mm -hmm. in Star Wars, right? Everything has always been lasers, mm -hmm. and this was an actual shell, right? Right. I think that's kind of an interesting choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of adds to the realism factor, I guess. No, I, you know? I, I dig it. I'm just saying, it's, yeah. you know, when you look at what, you know, what choices they make that are different from previous movies, that is definitely one of them. That's a heck of a triumphant moment, though, when the X-Wings come in and take down those mm -hmm. at acts And, uh, I, you know, at first you watch this, you're like, whoa, they, they took them down easy. Um, but it, like... Those are I had to remind myself that the snow speeders were just like woefully under equipped to take on under shielded walkers. Yeah. I mean, they were relying a lot on speed and uh and maneuverability to get out of in, in and out and through. Love the way this space battle is shot. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Again, we put you on the on the eye level with the people on the ground. We're gonna put you on a level with the pilots in in space, which calls back to a lot of the shoot to a lot of the way that George Lucas shot any hope space battle uh, above the Death Star. You know, he's putting you inside the cockpits of them. He's putting you, you know, you know, looking at their instruments. He's showing you through their cockpits what they're seeing. I will say the music at this moment when they're trying to find the plans, very, mm -hmm. it's just very well done from a suspenseful point of view. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's very I, minimalistic know. and it just keeps, you know, there's really no discernible melody. It's just, it's just, just it's like Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I like it so much because it is so effective. Because again, you know, the action that we're seeing on the screen is, Two characters static, moving stuff on you know on controls that are in their hands. But we know that their time is a factor for them because there's battles raging up, up around and above and you know all around them, so to speak. So it becomes a situation where we know that they better hurry up. They're not gonna have much time. And I love K two here, um, just wrecking shop. But then <laughs> the chink in the armor. <laughs> where he takes the shot to the shoulder you're like that was the moment for me i think where it kind of clicked that oh no <laughs> they're they're gonna start really really getting picked off here really really shortly so right quick going back to what i was saying about red and gold leader getting you know that footage getting reused here i find that they use it really well just a few moments just to establish that you know who they are and whatnot, but the idea they're interplacing, you know, oh, we're starting our attack run on the shield. Okay, cool. Doesn't have to be a big moment, but it leads to the idea of continuity with a new hope. All right. So this, okay, so this guy that's uh, the rebel uh, trooper who they keep talking to, it's like, hey, you need to flip this switch. And you, I just love his reaction, like, you got to be effing kidding me. You gotta flip the switch. <laughs> yeah. What, is it, what does this look like? What kind of switch? You could just tell him like what did I just get myself into? Yeah. I never should have answered my walkie-talkie. Yeah. <laughs> you keep asking me to do something. It's like, really? Again, it's he's he doesn't know he's not a communications guy, he's not a pilot, he's a trooper. So he's like, what the heck are you asked me to look for? But it but it shows to you, you know, again, what how you know immature the alliance is you know how, how about the seat of their pants their pants are doing this yeah oh there's red five red five he broke off from the rest and bye <laughs> nobody will ever inherit that name ever again that call sign yep they're gonna retire red five by the way it's a dumb looking tie fighter but anyway um. <laughs> I know, like after all the Thrawn stuff, I, I part of me wondered if it was one of his designs. Brett um, conning again. This wacky Tie <laughs> Fighter on uh, on Scarif. Oh, and then you know this the the Stardust reference, um, you oh. know, and the Easter eggs in the other. Uh, the other projects that they list through. Yeah, the hyperspace tracking. Mm -hmm. That's uh, 
Of course, Ryan Johnson is in this movie. He's one of the Death Star gunners um, who has to duck from the blast. But uh, yeah, that was, it's kind of a nice little, that was very marvelish of them to do, you know, just to mm-hmm. drop a little something, something in there to, you know, commit, build some connective tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, Bodhi's just so vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he, it goes to the idea he's not a fighter. He's, he's a, fighter. a soldier. No, he's not. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's been drafted into something that, by any rights, you should not not be there. But it speaks to the idea of, in order for the Empire to fall, it's going to take so many characters like him to come together. Not just going to be the Chirrets and the Bases and the Cassians. It's going to have to be characters like K2 and characters like uh, like uh, Bodhi and Jin, you know, who have to come together in order to help defeat the Empire. Oh, and the saddest death. Yeah, no kidding. This was I. I was I was surprised how moved I was by the death of K two S O. You know, I mean, it, it was just it was awful. I but that shows just how how good of a job, Dave. To your point earlier, how good of a job they did at getting you to like these characters and to buy into these characters in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's the point of the film, really, which is that war requires sacrifice. And through that sacrifice, uh, you, can, you can achieve inspiration. Um, and and when, a, when a war movie works, it's, it's doing those things. When you, you don't come out of it feeling uplifted exactly, um, but you don't come out of it like super depressed either. You feel like the journey was was worth it. The the sacrifices were worth it because ultimately, um, you're inspired. By the way, <laughs> Bodhi can't run for crap. <laughs> well, he's trying to run duck. He's trying to run and duck. And and hold that cable too. So you yeah. know it's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, there's a new Tie Fighters. <laughs> no, but uh, I, I think uh, you make a silent point there regarding that sacrifice is going to take. I mean, in many ways, and that's one of the hard things that the the main trilogy, the original trilogy, didn't get too much of a chance to show us. Up oh, there goes Blue Leader, following the you know leading the footsteps for Red Leader to follow on later on. If you're gonna go down, take some guys out with you. And go down screaming. Yeah. Go down screaming. Yeah, but yeah. it's the idea of, you know, we don't get to see too many. I mean, we get to see characters fall and die in the original trilogy, but we don't spend much time with them. And I think, you know, it, it's more characters like Biggs and Dax who uh, pass on that we go like, oh, wow, I'm surprised that they've passed away. But by and large, you know, most of the characters who get blown up, to put it that way, in the original trilogy, we don't get to meet. Here we're getting to meet them, we're getting to see them. We're recognizing that it takes their sacrifice as much as our heroes' uh, abilities in order to make it all work. This is where the music really ramps up and gets ominous. And yep. um, you're like, yeah, everybody's going to die. <laughs> you know, if by the way, if, if Cassian and Jin hadn't have taken time to change their clothes, they would have been 
up the shaft already, and Krennic would never got him. So, just saying. Well, I, I don't know if I don't know if Jane could have made able to make that jump with her gear on. Well, I, she could take maybe, the backpack maybe off. They're all wearing soft. It was all soft parts. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah here he yep, is. More more toys to sell, Aaron. You know, different character with different outfit. Oh, you oh, know. That's what I'm saying. Leave leave the stuff on. They took the time to change their <laughs> clothes before they went up the shaft. So. Yeah, anyway. Um, by the way, I could never be a death trooper because you have to be like six feet or over to be a death trooper. Oh, really? Yeah. I love that one dude who's like, I'm going! And he gets mowed Boom. down in like one second. Yeah. yeah he thought he was going to have his hero moment and he's not. this is not his story. I really like Ben Mendelsohn. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is, I was... But however, I, this was funny because when I realized that he was in Captain Marvel, mm -hmm. I, 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 that. I well, I, I, I when I realized he was in Captain Marvel, I so I went oh, because he is the same character in Rogue One as he is in Ready Player One, and every other thing that I and Dark Knight pretty Rises close, pretty close to um, Dark yeah Dark Knight Rising pretty pretty close to the same, and I was just like. Oh, here we go. It's gonna. It's, he's like the Vince Vaughn of his time, you know. And in mm -hmm. Mar Captain Marvel, he was totally different, and I just I, I was happy for that. But and by the way, this uh, Chirrut saying, "I'm one with the Force. The Force is with me." Yep. Have you ever seen the people take the shot from A New Hope of R2 and 3PO running across the hall, yeah. with <laughs> blaster bolts going? But no, I thought Ben Mendelsohn was awesome in this movie. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he's a he's a really great actor. And that's one of the things that I think uh, it's to the benefit of the Star Wars property now because it's so established and because they have all the money, there's this money and backing. They can go get really talented actors for, you know, small to medium roles to large roles. You know, I mean, here you got Donnie Yen in a small role. Here you got... Um, What's his name? He plays Bodhi. Uh, Riz Ahmed is a really good actor in a small role. You know, you got for you know Forrest Whitaker for a few scenes. So you're able to do all this and able to bring these characters, you know, and put really talented actors behind them because, well, it's Star Wars now and everybody wants to be in one. Yeah, and then, uh, oh, what's his name? The guy who played Bays. Yeah. Um, of course, he he let slip that uh, um, Chirrut dies when they were at Star Wars Celebration London because yeah, oh. his, his English is not good. And he's like, and when this yeah. guy dies, and everybody on this on the stage just kind of went, Ooh, you know. But uh, <laughs> like, I mean, do you think anybody going into this movie? Do you think anybody was going to make it? There, there was, I mean, there were reports and there's been stories that there were edits where the characters make it out or if Jen makes it out, Cassie makes it out, the whole you know, Rogue One crew makes it out but uh, you know, there was so there were discussions about during, during, you know, about what they were going to do if they were really going to kill him but I think the original plan was to kill him and they eventually went back to it recognizing uh, no, for this story to have its impact they have to, they have to be sacri sacrifices well 
Call up a hammerhead. <laughs> why, does, why does Radis have to look down at the planet when he's talking to Bodhi? Anyway, because he has the ability to. He's got a cool. No, he's got this cool ship with with like a glass window underneath his command center there, so he can see everywhere. He can see three sixty. So, uh, I like that. I like that little detail. You know what was also helpful, and Rogue One did a better job of explaining what ion cannons do. Mm-hmm. Oh the, yeah, the, they the seemed Empire. useless. <laughs> You know, an empire is just like they shoot at the at the star destroyers, and then they just kind of go. Oh, bye bye, buddy. Like, like what the what the heck? And now in this, it's like, oh, okay, it knocks out all their systems. All right, this makes sense. It's like it's like an EMP. It just takes out all their electrical circuits, leaves them dead in the water. And his chair recognizing, nope, not gonna make it out of here. So the heck with it. Let's go out like a like a bad like like a total bad McClunky. Uh, yeah, bad McClunky. I'm trying to figure out how this uh, death trooper just keeps holding on to the grenade, but whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, every, each with each with each death, it was just like, yeah, it just <laughs> took more wind out of you, you know. Even though you knew it was coming, you know. Brittany uh, brought up a good point. We were watching this the other day. This scene here with Jin hopping through the vent. She's like. Said I never realized how much this is like Empire. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. On Cloud City. But which I'm like, why do they have a vent that opens and closes like that? Is that regulating air or something? But I keep this cool. There you go. Hammerhead Corvette move. <laughs> These guys' helmets look like they are actually coming in handy here for the first time ever. Actually <laughs> 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 having helmets in space works. Yeah. Which, again, I love the idea of something like this. It's, you know, characters like Raditz or Holdo, you know, or Akbar that are tactical geniuses, but they're coming up with innovative ways and kind of how to get ahead of, because they don't have the military might to overwhelm with numbers. You know, I don't think, they never made a Rogue One video game, did they? This is But this was designed like a video game because level one is... You know, getting from the shuttle to the to the uh, little ground ground transport. Then you mm-hmm. level two is the ground transport to you know the base, and level three is getting up through the base. Then you got to get up to the the radar dish. This whole thing right. just lays out like a video game. But I can't believe it's like <laughs> antenna needs to be readjusted. Antenna needs uh-huh. to be readjusted. It's like seriously. <laughs> Okay, so first first time you saw it, were you surprised that that shot with the TIE fighter was not there? Yes. Yeah, I was, because I thought it was a bad McClunky yeah. shot. I thought it was a cool shot. And right. Was, I think it was, yeah. that was supposed to be Krennic, right? Or I'm not supposed, supposed to be Krennic. I know that. I mean, I mean, when every trailer, the last trailer I showed, it showed the end with that. I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden it comes to the moment it doesn't happen. I'm like, okay, did what happened here? All right, so this is where the music gets really good for me because mm-hmm. it's it's not a tri- it's not triumphant music. Mm-hmm. It's music of relief. It's like they're taking it's like somebody just I'm finally able to exhale. Mm-hmm. And the, and it's relaxing music. 
because they finally, I mean, when they destroyed those star destroyers and then destroy the shield and you see it even in Radis when you just kind of, you know, right. that's what, that's what I find so surprising about that music. Cause you would think normal composers would have made it a big triumphant, fanfare, triumphant, epic, you know, thing. And it's more just like, Oh, we, we did it, you know? So by the way, two things, uh, right quick. We saw, okay, so Jin aligns the dish, and then one of the new TIE fighters comes and shoots at her, which I'm not sure why they were doing that, but okay. But there's a quick cut to uh, to Krennic in the elevator as he's getting his blaster out, where he kind of looks up, like, and he has this kind of moment of his breath caught in his throat. Yeah. I'm like, did, did it for the first time strike him that he might not make it out of this alive? Because he's been walking around like he expects that, Everything's gonna work out to his, you know, his way, and then boom! It's like, uh oh, I'm actually in a shooting situation here. And I mean, it goes from, like I said, the music goes from, like I said, peaceful and relaxing to mournful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when and then when the Death Star, you have when the Death Star comes into play. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> You know, it's it's peaceful. Mm -hmm. That's just what I find just so very interesting how they composed this stuff. It goes against type, which I think does its job really well. But then when they're transmitting the plans finally onto um, uh, the attentive, you know, when they're making the copy of the plans, the music swells up again. It's amazing that they go back and do it. I love how they use the same dot matrix graphics for the Death Star. They kind of have to. <laughs> I wonder, okay, so did they have to rebuild those in a computer or they just have the old special effects? And just no, they had to rebuild them. I saw okay. John Knoll talk about it. It was, yep, and here comes the Death Star over the horizon. That's just so cool. Massive mm -hmm. object. And if they were like um, the stuff with when Cassian gets gunned down, that's gutting at first, and then when he's he's back and it's he's okay. I'm like, oh, okay, he's okay. <laughs> that's kind of a funny thing, but then you know these two really sort of deserve the opportunity to say goodbye right. to each other. And I think one of the things that a lot of people appreciated, even though it's interesting, they didn't end up having a romantic element to their relationship. I mean, it, right. they didn't get the time to build one for one. I was thankful that it didn't go there. But it's also, I mean, it would have been a cheaper story. story would have tried to shoehorn a romance element between them. And I'm glad they did. I'm glad that it was became, became more along the lines of finding commonality between them, finding respect for their journeys and the fact that they've come together to make this happen and that they're going to share a massive blast of a death star beam into the face i love it's the what... uh the look of the death star looking at krennic and krennic looking at the death star it's just it it gave just a nice sense of personification for the death star mm -hmm. i was going to say i you know ultimately what you guys are saying about jen and cassian is why uh Chirrut and bay's uh, being platonic doesn't bother me either because it's mm -hmm. like we don't really have a lot of time to 
like delve into those those kinds of romantic notions right in this story this story is it's it, all about sacrifice and war yeah and it's not yeah it's not an, an adventure like uh, a new hope or empire is where you have the, the slow moments where you can't do that you know mm. from the moment that uh that they get rescued Jin to here they don't really get much in the way of moments where they can breathe and discuss their feelings. And the few times that they do get them, everything else around them is, you know, going a heck in a handbasket. It's either, oh, you almost, you, you try to kill my dad or, you know, the rebellion's falling apart. And as we watch Jen and Cassian hug it out and there's a beautiful sunset in the distance. Yeah, that's it. I, yeah, it was just there's not much to say there. Um, his, um, I don't know if it's if it's intentional, um, but his eyes are open when the blasts hit them, and uh, I feel like his eyes are very much open by the end of this movie. So in Star Wars Celebration, um, right after this movie was released. Uh, cosplayers reenacted this whole scene of handing off the Death Star plans in the mm -hmm. lobby of the hotel uh, or the convention center. <laughs> this, this whole scene with, with Vader in the hallway, absolutely unnecessary to the movie, but it's just, it is the icing on the cake. It is just the, it actually, it actually enhances Vader in A New Hope. Because mm -hmm. because it's true, you you know, in a New Hope, you see him as a as a creature of fear, a threat, but you don't really get to see it besides of his duel with Ben. You don't see why people fear him. I mean, I mean, you see him choke the one dude for a moment, but that's about it. Here, you get to see. I mean, this is the Darth Vader of you know when he's killing Wookiees on Kashyyyk. He's this Darth Vader that well, everybody fears when he comes in the room. But yeah, that's the thing is that the first time you see Vader in A New Hope, you're just like, oh, okay, I assume that's the bad guy. But now if you watch Rogue One first and then, first and then watch A New Hope, then, you know, you could go, oh, that's that guy. Um, so yeah, the, the Princess Leia's, or I guess Bail Organa's ship, but Princess Leia's ship is... You know, going off, but here, right when that when the he walks in, the door opens, and you see the back of Princess Leia. I think three PO, three PO or R two or somebody needs to be in the background there. Mm -hmm. That would have been the place for him. I wonder how interesting it must have been for the set designers to rebuild that hallway just for that one shot, because they had to recreate basically the first thing we see out of Star Wars, and then boom, here you know it's only going to be for a moment, but it's got to feel like it's the same one. So I'll say right quick, I did kind of, it did kind of strike me a bit more the Carrie Fisher. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. More than more than uh, than Tarkin ever did, but it's I would I would agree with that one too. Yeah, the Carrie Fisher one was not as good as the Tarkin, but but I also it, think it's the nature of we knew. I mean, we just recently lost Carrie Fisher, not after this movie, so we're more cognizant and the jump from General Leia that we've seen a year prior to Princess Leia that we last saw in. 
and like that in 77. It's but they, didn't, they also didn't have a, a life mask of Carrie Fisher, you know? So they didn't get one, <laughs> but it's a, but I think it's just a moment. So as you're willing to write it off and go, okay, you know, it is what it is. I'm willing to, she's got to end up with the plans in her hands. Cause she's got to put them in R2 in a few minutes after this. So I would ask you guys maybe one more question about this movie. And it's like, do you need to have seen Star Wars to to appreciate Rogue One fully? I don't think so. I, I agree. I don't think so. Uh, I think it does its job by itself well enough because it's so self-contained. I think, like, the stuff at the end, especially, you know, the last three minutes or so with with Vader mowing people down and, and Princess Leia, you know, making her cameo and saying hope. Um, you know, that stuff feels a little disjointed from the rest of the movie. You know, these you're like, if you're just new to all of this, you're probably sitting there, well, who are these two characters? It's like I saw the guy in the black suit earlier, but I don't really understand what his deal is. I guess he's scary. Who's this girl? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think some of it, it's, it's, it's fan service. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And it, I guess, you know, it's so pervasive in terms of like how, um, how well known this stuff is. People know oh, Princess Leia, she has the buns on the side of her head that, you know, they can recognize that even if they don't have a good familiarity with the material. But um, I don't know. I still always felt that about that ending. I'm always when I'm whenever I'm watching these movies, I'm always thinking about like, well, how well does this movie kind of stand on its own? Um, and I think this movie's fabulous in that regard until like, like I said, like the last three minutes. But then what's what's interesting though is that well, because of those last three minutes, I think it does. Even if I, I think first of all, it does. It, you can watch it and feel satisfied, and it's a good story. They did what they needed to do. You don't need to see four, five, and six. But then I do think it's awesome to watch Rogue One and go right into A New Hope. You know, yeah. I, I I love that you can do that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, like, if if you watch the end of this and you're like, what's going on? Uh, well, let's put in A New Hope and you'll see what's going but, on. You know, but but again, I don't, I don't really think, I don't really, I can't, I don't really think that is the, that is the case because you know their their goal was to get the plans for the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Mission, know, accomplished. mission accomplished. They got it. Right. They 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 solved the problems they needed to. You know there wasn't any. There's no cliffhanger. You know now if you, yeah, I mean it, yeah, there might be some people go. I wonder if they ever destroyed the Death Star. It's like, but that but it's but it's not like ending. You know not like ending national treasure two and saying hey check out page 57 and then never make you know national treasure three so you leave everybody hanging you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um yes i just made a national treasure reference here but the, the uh, sequence is almost like a post-credit scene from from like a marvel film you know like that. you know <laughs> you're, you're setting up the the other movies with it um, and you're doing the full fan service thing and making the fans happy. Um, do you think they should have? Done, what do you think? What, do you, what, what, what would your reaction have been if they would have done a post thing instead? I think of- everybody would have. I think people would have revolted, right? Like you don't do that in Star Wars. 
You know, I but see here's the thing. I guess ultimately, I mean, if you take it as a self-contained movie, it feels odd. But then again, Vader's presence in the movie does feel odd if you don't know the rest of the saga mm-hmm. because he's so tangential to it. At the same time, though, no, you know, it's almost impossible to not know some kind of way of Darth Vader. So getting to see if you if, you, if your only image of Darth Vader is going to be that whole sequence. At least you understand why people speak of him as such a villain, because it's a perfect encapsulation of his of his ability to be a threat in in the story. Yeah, so, and I think ultimately it works too. Mm-hmm. I would just say that, um, like, I I appreciate that whole sequence for being there, and I really mm-hmm. enjoy it. I think most people know who these characters are, and most people know. The yeah, original was, story. So. But you, you have to admit it was completely frivolous, though. All you needed was, you know, them launching the ship and the ship going out and there's Vader going, come back. But yeah. it's like, you know, no, we got if we're going to have Vader, we're going to show him mowing down some people. So that was... Whooping and whooping, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> people, right. people waited 35 years for that scene, you know? I'm not going to begrudge Oh no, I don't finally giving it to us. You know, I, I, love I, thought it. It was, I thought it was awesome. I loved yeah. it, but I'm just saying that it's... Yeah. You can tell when things in movies, it's like... And again, it's having been in a recording studio, you have those conversations of does it yeah we can add one more song to the cd but does it do anything for the overall cd or is it just because we like the song you know or you know yeah we can do this to the arrangement but does it really enhance anything you do have those conversations sometimes it's just yeah i want to put this on the cd because i like the song and i think that's what they did with the vader hall scene it's like we're going to put it in because if they didn't like the rest of the movie they're going to end with you know their favorite song you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like we can play all new material, but by God, we're going to end with Brown Eyed Girl and everybody's going to love it, you know? So, you know, it, it's an encore, but you know, you know, that's the whole point of an encore is to get the crowd, you know, off their feet and enjoying it and then leaving the, leaving the, 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 the concert happy. And it's the same thing here. Everybody, everybody, the moment they left Rogue One, they were going like, oh my God, I can't believe you. Did you see Vader? And he did this and he did that. That's, and he did his job. So, I can't be mad at it because I did it too. So, hey, I want to thank all of you guys for watching Rogue One with us tonight. And, uh, if you, We want to know what your thoughts are about Rogue One. I made the, the bold claim that it's the, it's the best of the Disney era uh, Star Wars movies. Um, agree with us, disagree with us, you know, but let us know on, uh, on uh, Twitter. Um, let us know. You can, first of all, you can listen to us on Podbean, on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, but we do like to engage uh, with people on social media. So Facebook, Twitter, find us, let us know if you think what you think about Rogue One. Um, and I guess anything else for the good of the order before we sign off for a week? No, just uh, you know, stay, hope safe. Yeah. Yeah, stay safe. Stay uh, you know, hope, safe. Hopefully, uh, thoughts and prayers with everybody. Southwest Louisiana and everybody impacted by Hurricane Laura and uh, you know hope hope you'll enjoy this. Yep. So with that we will say who that who that and uh, have a wonderful wonderful.
Patangke.